What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 156 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Esther Jacobs. Esther has authored over 25 books. She has helped over 400 writers write and publish their first book. And she has been in the digital nomad game a very long time. A super inspirational lady showing the world that location independence is a real thing. In fact, she was fired, as she says, from her own country because she didn't spend enough time in her own country of Holland. That aspect of her life is super fascinating to me and will be to you when you hear it because it's one of those examples of holding on to that idea of safety and security within your own country, staying in your own country because you think it's safe and secure, staying in your own job that is safe and secure isn't always the case. As you'll hear, because Esther didn't spend enough time in Holland, Holland stripped her of her bank accounts, her pension, everything that she had been paying into for her whole life. She was an upstanding citizen, but because of one weird law on the books, she now is, as we all are, citizens of the world, but with no residency, no home, not recognized by the Dutch government as a citizen of Holland. So Esther is a wealth of knowledge. Like I said, she's authored a bunch of books. One book of note is Digital Nomads, How to Live, Work, and Play Around the World. Esther's lived a lot of life. She's a jack of many trades, and she has a lot of beautiful, very informative information to share with you if you want to author a book, if you want to become more confident in your public speaking, if you're somebody who is stuck in their life situation and just needs someone to point them in a direction to help you get unstuck, Esther is your lady. I had the pleasure of spending time with her at Get Shit Done last year. She is an awesome, powerful woman and self-described as the no excuses lady because we all make excuses and there's no reason for it. We just need to go out, do what we want, make it happen, take responsibility for our lives. And Esther has been doing that for a very, very long time. If you're a first-time listener, please pull out that phone and hit the subscribe button. One thing to note, and you might have heard it in the last episode, I've started filming some of these episodes that I do in person live. And I'm giving those recordings to my Patreon supporters. So if you would like to become a Patreon supporter and receive the in-person, live, raw, uncut footage of some of these episodes, you can go to patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects or just search Misfits and Rejects on Patreon. Monthly donation, whatever you want. Nothing is expected. All is appreciated. But if you would like to receive that video gift of seeing the environment in which I interview some of these people when I'm on the road in some really cool locations around the world, that will be one opportunity for you to see these videos. I'm only making them available to Patreon supporters. So thank you again to everyone who is supporting. It means the world to me. It does help in this production of Misfits and Rejects. So if you'd like to support Misfits and Rejects and get these videos, please head over to Patreon com search misfits and rejects and again it's all appreciated but nothing is expected so with that said get ready this is an awesome episode with esther jacobs please be sure after the episode to check her out at estherjacobs.info i'll put her link in the show notes if you're somebody who is looking to write a book or somebody who just needs to get unstuck you should definitely check her out because she can help you so please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Esther Jacobs. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners... A lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it, goddammit. 
Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by Esther Jacobs, the no excuses lady, speaker, author, digital nomad, somebody that I got to know in Thailand a year ago who I really saw people admiring who I was surrounded by. And so as I got to know her and have kind of followed her over the course of the year, you can see that she's a woman that makes no excuses for her life and how she's designing it. So Esther, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. You are, I believe, in a castle right now in France at a writing retreat. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I'm sitting among the ruins uh, during sunset, and I'm trying to hold on to the last shreds of uh, internet connection. <laughs> that's great. And you have, I mean, you've published like 25 books. Is that correct? Yeah, I w I'm the author of most of them, and I co-authored some others, and I help people to publish their books and to write them in a week, actually. Oh, wow, one week. So is this retreat something that you're utilizing for your own um, personal clientele, or are you there as a uh, guest of the retreat? Yeah, it's interesting for me. I'm a, I'm a participant, so I don't have to do anything, just write and learn. And the um, person organizing this, Derek Murphy, he's like a real... Um, Amazon book marketing guru so I'm learning a lot of things uh, which I can then use both for my own books and in the writing retreats I organize so it's uh, yeah it's it's very nice to uh, to to learn and to you know soak up information at the same time yeah, I'll bet. Derek was on the show as well. He was joined, He joined us in Thailand and somebody that I was just awestruck by because he was so quiet at our retreat oh and when he starts to talk, oh, he's so awesome. He knows so much. Yeah, he does. But, I mean, you obviously have a lot of experience as well as an author of 25 books and co-authoring so many as well. It's like, what, what more are you trying to learn? And, and what are you trying to learn from Derek right now? <laughs> well, I'm very good at um, uh, getting the essence of people's book ideas and putting them into, like, the first um, parts of a book and I have people start at the back cover so usually that's the page people write last and I start at the end so if you write the back cover then you know your promise to the readers and then you can set up your structure your outline and go from there and the back cover is also what readers read first and what a publisher would read and you know what you put on Amazon so if you start with the back cover you can already start marketing and even selling your book without having written it. No, that makes and so, total sense, yeah. Yeah, and, and a lot of people don't do it, and they start writing, and then, you know, they start off really well, and then at some point they get stuck, and then they have to go back and rewrite. And that's where most people stop writing their books, and they disappear into computer files or drawers or whatever. And I don't want that to happen, because a lot of people have great ideas or expertise they want to share with the world. And if you do this in a structured way, and I think I've found the way that works for 99% of the people, then you can actually do it in a week. Or it can take you longer, but you avoid like getting stuck and rewriting a writer's block and frustration and writing a book can become fun. And so I'm really good at writing a book, but then the book is ready and I'm like, okay, you know, if people want it, then they can buy it. And I have a lot of followers in the Netherlands who follow me and who then want to buy my book. <laughs> but internationally, I'm not very well known. So I put my books on Amazon and then nothing happens because I don't do any marketing, paid ads. I've never paid for anything in my life. But it seems that being on Amazon, you do have to, you know, set up ads and, and put some effort into it. So that's what I'm learning this week. And then I can also help um, the people in my writing retreats to um, uh, achieve more success with the books that they wrote. 
Oh, that makes sense. So, yeah, you're just uh, developing the skills that you're not as strong in with Derek right now so you can uh, help your own clientele. Yep. Um, have you always been a writer? Is that something you were um, preparing yourself to design your life around, you know, going through school and university? Is that something you've always been passionate about? Not really. It's always been easy to communicate. Um, and even when I wrote my first few books, people were saying, oh, you're a writer. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm a speaker. I just write some books, you know, but I, um, I think that, yeah, maybe I'm a writer, but I'm also a lot of other things. And like I said, it's just easy for me to communicate. And I have problems with a lot of other things that other people find easy. So I think if you can help each other, um, then, you know, you don't need to work on your own weaknesses, but you just use the strengths of other people. And in return, you provide your added value and then life is a lot easier. So what I, when I was younger, actually, I wanted to become a sea um, mammal biologist. Basically, I just wanted to study dolphins. But then I found out that you had to study biology and then you had to go on studying marine biology and then you had to do another studies for the marine mammals. So I was like, oh, no, that's too much work. Uh, you know what? I'll go to the art academy because I like drawing. But then I didn't apply to the art academy. So, of course, they didn't accept me. If you don't apply, they don't accept you. <laughs> and then my father said, why don't you go to this business school? I've always wanted to go to the business school. Why don't you apply? And so I applied just to get rejected so I wouldn't have to disappoint my father. But then I got accepted. So I went to business school and I wasn't into business at all. <laughs> so and in a business school, they don't prepare you for being a writer or a speaker. They prepare you to be uh, an account manager or whatever. So um, and I think um, that if you follow your own compass, that you always end up in a unique place that fits your personality. But you have to. Uh, be courageous and uh, try to find your own compass, your inner compass, and follow it. And while learning to do that, you'll take many side roads and you'll get stuck and you'll have many disappointments and you'll learn a lot of things. But in the end, it will serve you to find out who you really are and to uh, find, you know, a way that you can contribute to others with your, with, you know, with the things that are easy to you. So that's basically the road that I followed. Well, it's interesting because I totally agree and I've touched upon this a lot, you know, throughout many episodes of following your intuition um, over, you know, what you think you should do. But it, it kind of sounds like you were doing what you thought you should do. And somehow on that path, you started to learn how to follow your own compass. Can you describe that, that moment for us? Because, I mean, going to business school wasn't your idea, it sounded like. And then everything you've talked about thus far, it's like you're not really a writer, but you write books. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, what is this underlying theme that kind of has tied you to all, all these themes of your life together that you've found your own compass within? I think it's something uh, really uh, weird. Um, and you're going to laugh when I share this story. When I was like 16, I had a neighbor, a lady who was uh, a psychic, a clairvoyant. And she was convinced that the world would end, you know, the, like an apocalypse or something would happen and the world as we know it would stop to exist. And she said, she said I don't know when it's going to happen, but I do know that it's going to happen. So when you plan your life and career, don't make any long-term plans, but plan short-term because then you'll be able to enjoy it. So I kind of took her advice to heart and I, this business school I went to was only three years and then most of my fellow students went on to do another studies of three to six years. 
And then they started jobs, you know, with long-term career plans. And I was like, hmm, you know, maybe she's probably not right. But what if she's right? Um, then I want to travel. And if I make money first, then I'll have money but no time. And now I have time but no money. And I think it's easier to get money than to get time. So I decided to just go and travel. And I did some projects on the way. And, you know, I became a freelancer and... Basically, I've never had a like a real job in my life. I never did any more studying uh, other than out of interest. I studied um, Latin American studies and anthropology. I did my master's just because I was traveling so much and I was seeing things and I thought that, you know, I was missing something. I didn't know how to look at the world. So I only did things because they interested me or because I came across them and either they taught me something or they brought me a step further in the direction that I now know I wanted to go. You know, looking back, you can connect the dots. But at that moment, it's just weird. You know, all the things I did were weird. But I'm quite happy with where I am. I'm like an international uh, public speaker and I travel all, all over the world, writing books, giving speeches, organizing retreats and inspiring people. That was not on the job list that I was provided at the university. It's much better, you know, and I created it all myself. I know. You inspire the heck out of me just describing what you've accomplished. But to be honest, I'm still kind of confused in that, you know, <laughs> you're, you're a jack of so many trades, but what are you a master of? I mean, what do people contact you to come speak about? You know, obviously, you've designed a really cool life for yourself. You've traveled. And, but, like, what are they trying to get from you when they have you come speak to people? That's the interesting thing. My central theme is no excuses, but you can apply it to anything from business to government to relationships to anything. And I discovered that you have to keep reinventing yourself. So when I uh, started as a speaker, I spoke ma mainly about a charity project I did. When the euro was introduced in the Netherlands in 2002, I collected all the leftover foreign coins that we couldn't use anymore for charity. So I collected 16 million euros of worthless coins for charity. And then I got asked to share this story. Um, and companies wanted to hear it. And charities wanted to hear it. And journalists wanted to hear it. But of course, after a while, the same story gets old. So I reinvented the same story uh, by saying I would talk about how to achieve big results with limited resources. And then it became a whole new story fit for companies in crisis and conferences and whatever and then people started to ask me okay this is a great story but but who are you and what happened behind the scenes and what choices did you make in your life so my stories became more personal even my speeches became more personal and then it came down to things like intuition and taking risks and uh, always trying to find opportunities in every challenge you know you can turn any challenge into an opportunity And also life lessons, like you can't stop the waves, but you can learn how to surf and don't try to influence things that you have no control over because you'll just get frustrated. Try to find things that you can influence and focus on that um, in any given circumstances. So, um, you know, and then when I got into a relationship with a Mr. Wrong in the Caribbean, the biggest playboy of the Caribbean, I even incorporated that into my corporate speeches. When I participated in the European Survivor Show, I incorporated the, the, the group dynamics into my corporate speeches. So whatever happens to me, I turn into a speech or a book just by looking at the, you know, there's storytelling, there's anecdotes, but there's always an element of 
you have control you take control don't be a victim don't give away your power but see what you want to achieve and what you can do with what you have right now you don't need to win the lottery you don't need to write elaborate plans what can you do right now today with what you already have and that's always a lot more than you think and that empowers you that gives you uh, energy, power, control to take the next step. And you only have to look ahead one step. You know, you don't have to plan your whole journey because external circumstances will change. So one step at a time, there's always something you can do. And being uh, in movement uh, will help you get ahead. It's like uh, learning to ride a bicycle. You know, you can read the manual and you can, you know, f- try to be perfect. But it's better to... Uh, to start moving and then you can correct from there you can go in a different direction you can stop but if you try to do everything while standing still it's never going to work no it's a very powerful message and it sounds like your gifts are communicating through a spoken word and and literature and then marketing yourself which has allowed you to kind of retell your story and or repackage your story if you will in many different ways that are attractive to businesses and individuals out there does that sound correct yeah, yeah, I think uh, I've never thought of the term repackaging, but yes, you're you're right. I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> when I again going back to the intu- intuitive process you've you've gone through and developed because you do have a book that you, you noted as what uh, have you found Mr. Wrong yet? Was that what the title was? Have you found your Mr. Wrong yet? Sorry, yeah. excuse me. Um, cuz I think I operate intuitively with meeting people, liking people, being attracted to people. But my question is for you, where how has your intuition developed when it comes to you know the dating scene and and finding that person that you want to spend more time with? Who? That's a difficult question. I'm still struggling with that because a lot of people are attracted to unconventional people, adventurers, you know, with a lot of energy, a lot of presence. And those people usually are not looking for either a long-term relationship or a monogamous relationship or a relationship at all or uh, just a different kind of relationship. So I think the, the main thing is expectation management. When you meet somebody who's a player or the, the female form of a player, uh, you don't expect to be like in a white picket fence regular relationship. Um, but you can, you know, have fun with them. You can get close to them. You can appreciate them and you can enjoy being with them. It's just expectation management. Don't expect anything else than what you see and what you hear from them. And if you set your expectations right, you cannot be disappointed. So if your expectations are too high, you will always be disappointed. If your expectations are very low, you are likely to be positively surprised. But it's still difficult. It's difficult. It's very difficult not to have any expectations. It's very difficult to let go of control uh, of what you want, how you want somebody else to be. You know, you just have to accept situations and people for how they are. And if you don't like it, you have a choice to walk away. Never try to change somebody. It's impossible. No, you're absolutely right. Beautifully said. I've always had a, a theory that I'd love to test. I was a psych major and I feel like if you put a group of females in a, in a room and had them all dressed the same, sitting still, no expression on their face, I could probably pick a handful of exactly personality-wise <laughs> similar women because I think there's genuinely like a sixth sense or something that's operating behind the scenes that attracts me to certain individuals. Do you, do you kind of feel the same way? 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. You can you can tell by the way they look at the world. You can feel their energy. You know, it's like a, a flirting, an awareness, an awakeness. You know, some people are they can look beautiful, but it's like there's nobody home. You know, there's no light in their eyes. And um, the people we're talking about, adventurous people, the the people who are fully present. You can dress them in rags. You can put them in a corner, dirty with weird clothes whatever and you can still tell they have something special just because of their eyes and the energy they radiate and the way they hold their body yeah do you use your intuition when it comes to your next choice and say um speaking engagements or who you're going to work with because you obviously work with individuals do you have like a screening process that you would take somebody through um and if you came to a place where you've intuitively felt like you maybe couldn't help them in the way they expected you to would you turn them away um i don't have a screening process because it's all very organic um but I have turned people away. Um, actually, I don't do real coaching. I do resultant sessions. And it's only one or two sessions. And then if you don't get it, then, you know, I can explain it to you 10 more times. But then it's a waste of my time and of your time as well. So I only give people who who are already, you know, pretty confident or successful, uh, but they get stuck. I can help them get unstuck. But I don't do like... Um, a 30 session or 10 session coaching sessions holding somebody's hand and telling them all over and over again the same thing i mean there's other people who are much better at changing habits or um digging deeper into your personality um some people say i do quick fixes um maybe that's true but I'm very good at quick fixes, so <laughs> I'd rather stick to my trade. Well, then I, I did notice that you have, what is it called, One Year to Freedom? Is that a, a course of yours? Yeah, it's a mastermind group. And um, actually, it's uh, it was an experiment because I noticed that if you want to change your lifestyle, if you want more freedom, if you want to become location independent, if you want to become an entrepreneur – then you can book a resultant session with me and I can tell you in an hour, hour and a half exactly what you need to do. But then you go back home and you're like overwhelmed. Like, ah! And you need motivation. You need like-minded people around you. You need more information on specific topics. So I decided to, to develop a, a course, this mastermind group, uh, where one month I help you to set up your international life according to the Six Flag Theory. And another month I help you to minimize your stuff um, so you have less burden if you want to travel or even if you want to stay in the same place um, because less stuff uh, means less uh, energy, you know, to, to take care of it, to you need less space to store it, etc., etc. So every month we have a different theme and I help people on the way to more freedom, be it in their business, in their life or just in their minds. And that, that was new for me to do a year-long program, but I actually like it because I also see... Uh, the group dynamics, people helping each other. You see people taking real steps. And at the end of a year, some are really traveling. They've set up their companies. They achieve their first results. And that's really re rewarding. So maybe it contradicts what I just said about my resultant sessions. But I'm discovering also this other side of longer um, participation in people's um, uh, pursuits of their dreams. Mm -hmm. What's the six leg theory? I've never heard that before. The six flag, six oh, flag. Six flag. That okay, I misunderstood. Normally, you're you're born in one country and then you work in that country and you have your social life there. You have your your business, your finances, everything. And nowadays, uh, it's possible to 
live in one country, be registered in another country, have your citizenship and passport from another country, have your business in another country, your server, your uh, real estate, your finances. Uh, so everything can be in the country that suits best, you know, the structure of what you do and what you want to set up. And it can be very confusing because there's all these different baskets and different things you want to put in the basket. So um, you need some guidance to figure out what you want to do, where and what the best options are. And um, yeah, I've, I've um, done it myself and I've helped a lot of people. So I know I don't know everything. Uh, thank God I don't know everything, but I know where to point people. And I know the most common solutions like the 80-20 rule that works for most people. How, I mean, did you grow up with an entrepreneurial family? Did somebody in your life kind of help you down this path? Because no offense, but a lot of Europeans aren't that entrepreneurial minded that I come across. <laughs> and I don't mean to disrespect Europeans in general. Or I know you're from the Netherlands, so maybe that doesn't count. But it's still, it's like the way you speak and the path you've blazed for yourself. And I mean, and you did it in a time that it, this wasn't like something that a lot of people did. So I'm just curious a little bit more about your background. Yeah, it's uh, it's true what you say. The, um, the older generations, their goal was to get a job and to keep it for the rest of their life, you know, security. And especially in uh, Northern Europe, people uh, save money, you know, they would never max out their credit cards. Everything is geared towards a career and security and planning. Um, and my father was an entrepreneur. Um, and I think I must have gotten some of his risk taking and taking control and responsibility and trying different things. And yeah, I think it just fits my personality. And then I'm from 1970. So when I was a teenager, like 89, 88, uh, before the internet, um, you know, when you wanted to explore, you had to do research in a different way you had to go to a library or you had to what happened to me I always stumbled upon a research or something that would help me ahead so I wouldn't try to know or do everything I would just apply the 80 20 rule doing 80 percent of the work in 20 percent of the time and not worrying a lot about the last 20 percent and that seemed to work and looking back that's the entrepreneurial uh, mentality and now I notice a lot of corporates uh, want their employees to think more like entrepreneurs, but they don't know how to teach them. And then they book a workshop or a speech with me and I just share my life lessons, you know, from the playboy to um, survivor to traveling to the charity world to explain the entrepreneurial mindset. And then the corporates say, oh, yeah, we want that, too. But what they do, they want their employees to be more entrepreneurial to try out different things to take responsibility but then how they evaluate their work is still with the old standards you're not allowed to make mistakes if you make a mistake you won't get a bonus but that's not entrepreneurial so that's why entrepreneurship is so hard to cultivate in a corporate environment because they want the outcome but they're not prepared to provide the context for entrepreneurship which is a lot of freedom and flexibility and allowing people to make mistakes and to learn. Yeah. Wow. Do you did prior to writing your first few books, did you have authors that you were inspired by with these types of ideas? Um, I only know a few male authors that I can say off the top of my head, like Tony Robbins or, you know, Tim, the modern day Tim Ferriss's, were there any male or female authors that you were really inspired by early on? Yes. I really liked the writing of Malcolm Gladwell. 
I like how he he takes apart a certain phenomenon and then he researches it and then he writes about it in such a logical way with examples and I, w- I remember thinking, oh, I wish, you know, one day I could write a book like he does. And of course, my books are not comparable, but uh, yeah, he's, I-, I admire him a lot. No, I do too. He's really interesting the way he processes information and, and really looks at things from angles that I don't think 99% of the public would ever think about them and then articulates it in such a rational way. It's so beautifully said. Yeah, and there's a few more. I can't come up with the names right now. There's an anthropologist. Oliver Sacks, uh, he wrote um, an anthropologist from Mars, I think, and the man who mistook his wife for a hat and the island of the colorblind. So he describes anthropological phenomenon also in a way with storytelling and very clear and and interesting and adventurous. And uh, that's somebody else I admire. So he doesn't write scientific stuff. He writes stories about, about science. No, thank you. I'll put that in the show notes for the audience to go look up. One question I had after reviewing your, your webpage was you got kicked out of the Netherlands. Is that what I understand for not what <laughs> participating in enough activities or taxes or something like that? I didn't really understand. Yeah, I got fired from the Netherlands, but actually it was for traveling too much. So I owned a house. I had a company. I paid taxes. You know, I did nothing wrong. Um, in fact, I was even knighted by the Dutch Queen for the charity initiative, and I was an honorary citizen of the city where I lived. Um, but then one day I got to the, the town hall to renew my passport, and they said, sorry, we can't renew your passport because you don't live here anymore. And I was like, that's weird. I live here, you know. I've owned this house for 16 years. I've lived here. I travel a lot, but this is where I live. And they said, no, you don't live here anymore because you travel too much. And I'm like, is there a limit, you know, to how much I can travel? I don't live anywhere else. Um, but they wouldn't talk to me anymore. They, they had started a fraud procedure. And I was like, fraud? Where's the fraud? You know, I don't take any money. I don't receive Social Security. I pay taxes. There's nothing wrong. But uh, it turned out that all exceptions are passed on to the fraud department because they don't know of exceptions that are positive. <laughs> so... Basically, there's a law in the Netherlands that says you have to sleep in the place where you want to be registered for at least four months a year. And I travel more, so I sleep maybe three months a year in my own house. And um, so they wanted to deregister me. And um, I even got the, you know, the government to have a, a meeting on this for three weeks. The ministers had meetings on my case. And they came to the conclusion that this law is not meant for people like Esther Jacobs. But technically, the city applied it correctly. So there's nothing we can do. So basically, I got fired. I got deregistered from my own city, from my own country. And they couldn't say where I lived. You know, I didn't live in Holland, but they couldn't say where I did live. So from that moment on, I was basically homeless with my own house and a car and a company, (laughs) but I didn't exist anymore. And I lost my pension. I lost my voting rights. I lost my social security. I lost my uh, health insurance. Uh, My company got deregistered because without an address, you cannot have a company apparently. And because I didn't have my chamber of commerce registration anymore, they closed down my bank accounts. They uh, stopped my phone plan. And basically my whole life collapsed. And the worst thing was there was nowhere I could go because the ministers had already decided. So there was no window or, you know, person I could go to. 
there was only one organization in the Netherlands who said and who kept on saying, Miss Jacobs, to us you are and will always be a cherished citizen of the Netherlands. And that was the tax service. <laughs> so I lost all my rights, but they still wanted me to pay taxes. And it took me three years to negotiate with them to say, listen, if I pay my taxes, I pay social security premium. So then I want to have the right to social security and my pension. But they wouldn't give that to me. So finally, they decided, okay, you know, she doesn't live in Holland. She deregistered. I rented out. I even sold my house. I didn't want to have anything to do with the Netherlands anymore, the way they cheated, they treated me, cheated me, treated me. <laughs> so um, in the end, the even the tax service uh, deregistered me. So now I officially don't exist. I don't live anywhere and I don't pay taxes, which I didn't pay a lot because I don't make so much money. But the good thing about not paying taxes is that you don't have to do any bookkeeping, no admin, nothing. And that's so much freedom. Wow, this is really cool. Can we go a little bit deeper on this? I mean, because this is, I'm assuming, prior to you really learning about the uh, flag theory. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't advise this to anybody because what I've learned is that if you keep um, like a, a question open in the computer, <laughs> it's going to cause you a lot of trouble. So if the computer says, okay, she emigrated from the Netherlands, then you have to say where you emigrated to. And if you leave that open, like in my case, it continuously gives you trouble, like really a lot of trouble. So it's better to say I moved to Spain and then you spend one week in Spain and then you go somewhere else because then the computer at least has this answer to this question. So I can advise people on what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And I wouldn't advise anybody to do what I did, well, actually, I didn't do anything, but to, you know, to get into the same problem that I got in, because it took me years to, you know, settle things down. And still, you know, I have problems if I, I can't get a mortgage for a house, I can't buy a car. Uh, whenever I'm traveling, you have to fill in the immigration form and they always ask for a permanent residence address. And uh, if you leave it blank, like I did in the beginning, let me explain they put you in a cubicle at the airport and they don't let you go for the next four or five hours. And then you still have to provide an address. So, yeah, it's not easy, but it's doable. So where do you stand right now? Do you have a residency outside of the Netherlands? No, I don't. I still have a Dutch passport, which is a struggle every time I have to renew it. Uh, now I have to go to a special window in The Hague for homeless people. So I stand in line with homeless people to get my passport renewed. And then I have to have proof of where I've been, where I've lived in the past six months. So all the hotel, Airbnb, Uber tickets, phone records, whatever. And they don't want anything digital. They want everything in paper. So there you go. I minimized my whole life. I digitized my whole life. And then I have to keep six months of detailed records if I want to renew my passport. Luckily, it's only once every 10 years, but it's very frustrating. That's interesting. Why haven't you taken um, more like steps to like becoming a resident? Like everyone's going to Georgia right now to become like tax residents there, which everyone says is so easy. Um, yeah, but I got into this transparency thing, and I said, okay, if you guys say I don't live in the Netherlands because I don't sleep here four months a year, I don't spend anywhere four months a year. Not in Georgia, not in Estonia, not in Spain, not anywhere. So. I want to be honest and I want to be open and transparent. I want the system to solve this problem and not to live below the radar. So I became kind of a 
pioneer, you know, a martyr or however you want to call it, I get in trouble because I tell the truth and I'm transparent about my situation. And sometimes, you know, it's good. I get interviewed a lot and the government hires me to try and find a solution for this. But I also get into a lot of trouble all the time. <laughs> but I decided to be transparent, so I'm not going to register anywhere. There were majors of cities in Holland who said, that's ridiculous what they did to you. Why did you come and register in my city? And I was like, that's very nice of you, but I don't live in your city. I don't even sleep two nights a year in your city. So technically, I'm not allowed to register and I don't want to do anything illegal i want to try and find a solution for people like me location independent people there's going to be more and more of us and we want to contribute we don't mind paying taxes we want to you know be part of society we just don't have a fixed address please find a solution so we can participate and not you know be like uh like pariahs outside of the system well i think you know on top of the no excuses lady i'm going to w uh honest esther for uh, your transparency. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> but I think that's, you know, admirable. I, why, yeah, why would you want to live in this kind of gray area when you haven't done anything wrong and it's their problem, they need to fix it. And like you said, you're helping the future of digital nomads in, in Holland who are going to have similar problems in the, in the present moment. Yeah, and also there's older people. And a lot of people don't realize if you worked all your your life and you saved money and then you turn like 65 and you get your pension and all your life your dream was to go sailing around the world. So these nice old retired couples, they buy a sailing boat, they go sailing around the world and they realize in order to keep receiving their pension, they have to spend four months a year in the Netherlands. So they have to leave their sailing boat, fly back to the Netherlands rent an apartment for four months and just wait out those four months in order to keep receiving their retirement pension, which is ridiculous. So this whole law is outdated. You know, it's all based on the time where people still lived in one location and maybe you moved to another location, but then you would be living there. And, uh, you know, the future of work and living is not location-based. I think even countries are outdated, you know, with artificial boundaries and borders and currencies and languages people move it's like a fluid thing you you go where you want to be and some countries or some areas are attractive for good internet and some areas are attractive for the weather and some areas are attractive for the people you meet there's no one place in the world that has it all citizens of the world we are that's true and i yes we are yeah. and, well you know that too you i mean we meet in thailand and then you you know you go to hawaii and i'm in france now and so we we go to where we want to be or need to be and not because, you know, we were born in one place that we should stay there. True. Yeah. You've designed a beautiful life for yourself. I admire you. Um, just circling back to your books, is there one book that you've written that you're most proud of? Um, well, my first book, What Is Your Excuse, has my personal story of setting up the charity, participating in Survivor, becoming a speaker, and it's... Yeah, it's something special because it's my personal story and uh, a lot of people have been inspired by it. And um, and I still think it's, yeah, it's um, something special, you know, to look at what you've done and to take out all the, you know, the frustration and to turn it into an inspirational book. It was quite something. Uh, but the other book that I think will appeal to a lot of the listeners is my one of my most recent book, Digital, Digital Nomads, How to Live, Work and Play Around the World. And it explains the six flag theory and how you can become an entrepreneur, how you get clients, how you can organize your life as a digital nomad. 
And I think this book is the most uh, relevant for the times we live in. And um, I know a lot of people have a dream and they're reluctant to follow it or they don't know where to start or when they, you know, are sure that they want to do it, their environment projects their insecurities and their uh, worries onto the people who want to leave. And then, you know, it's even more difficult for them to leave. And if you know where to find like-minded people, then it will be easier because they have already done it and they will tell you about the possibilities instead of, you know, the challenges and the risks and the fears that other people may have. So digital nomads, how to live, work and play around the world. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's one of the most um, influential books. That's really cool. And then, yeah, speaking of like-minded people and being surrounded by them, you also will be hosting, what, a writing retreat in October for anybody who's interested in, what, uh, writing a book in a week? Is that what you said earlier? Yeah, that's true. I organized three writing retreats, I think, per year. I think I've organized already about 30, and about 400 people have already uh, written and published their book with my method, which is like start with the back cover. And in October, I usually organize it in Thailand, um, in a beautiful villa on the water on an island. And then in March, I organize one in the Caribbean, Curacao, the Netherlands Caribbean, the Dutch Caribbean, um, in a really nice boutique hotel and um, with really good food. And then in May, I organized a riding retreat in Mallorca. Mallorca is a Spanish island next to Ibiza. And I used to live there, so I have a villa inland so not the famous coast uh, with a lot of tourism but we really go back to nature we live among the farmers we have really good food and silence and connection with the earth and that's where most of the books have been written for Yorka. so if anybody is interested in writing a book i also wrote a book by the way how to write your book in one week and i wrote this book in one day <laughs> just to prove that it's possible it was a very long day by the way but if you're interested in the writing retreat or in writing your book, the, um, the book, How to Write Your Book in One Week, is a good starting point. And then if you feel you need some extra help or you want to be among uh, like-minded people, then you're more than welcome to come to one of my re writing retreats. No, it sounds like magical. All three of those sound like beautiful environments to get a lot of uh, productive writing done. So anybody interested in learning more about you can go to estherjacobs.info. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And there's a lot of blogs, free resources, uh, things you can download, videos, uh, lots of information and resources. I really want to help people to uh, live their full potential and to find more freedom in whatever way um, suits them. So I'm really not into selling uh, uh, any upselling or whatever. I just want to help people. And there's lots of information on my website. So it would be nice uh, uh, if people could use that. No, thank you for that. We appreciate it. If you could speak to one person out there listening, male, female, whoever, who is interested in taking that first step out to becoming a digital nomad, starting their own business, writing their first book, could you give them some words of wisdom on how to start and how to get the courage to take that first step? Yes, to anybody who has a plan either to become a digital nomad or, for, or an entrepreneur or anything, you already have what it takes. You are special. And maybe you don't see it, but the people around you see it. And you may think that it has to feel difficult, you know, in order to be worth um, uh, doing something or to achieve something. But the things that you do well are easy, so you don't notice them. So your added value is in something that's really easy for you and difficult for other people. And that's how you add value and how you can 
make money and help other people. And that's your key to becoming an entrepreneur, whether it's location independent or not. So find that diamond in yourself. You don't have to do any more courses or schooling or whatever. You already have what it takes. You just need to uncover it. Wow. Thank you. So beautifully said. Thank you so much for joining us, Esther. We appreciate your time and we love you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. Bye. Awesome, Esther. Thank you so much for joining us on Misfits and Rejects. We appreciate your time. Such an inspirational lady. If you like what you heard, go to estherjacobs.info. You can check out her retreats that she hosts around the world, the writing retreats where she helps people write their first book in one week. Super cool. You can check out her other books that she's authored. What is your dream? Another one. Have you found your Mr. Wrong yet? Like the one I mentioned in the intro, Digital Nomads, How to Live and Work and Play Around the World. Super cool, so please be sure to check her out. And again, just a reminder, if you are interested in hearing and seeing the episodes live, the in-person interviews I do, I have started filming. Not all of them, just the in-person ones with the individuals who are comfortable with me filming it. So if you head on over to Patreon and you want to make a monthly donation, I'm providing these videos to all my Patreons who are donating a monthly donation. They get to see the environment, the in-person, raw, uncut footage of how the interviews kind of play out. So thank you so much for listening. I think you all are so very, very beautiful. I hope this episode inspired you to think about your life situation and head on out and take that first step. And I'll see you next week. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspired you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.